So I'm just going to get into this teaching right now. Father, I just thank you. With all that is within me, I thank you for the amazing finished work of Jesus and your love. Father, may we just settle in right now to that place of your Holy Spirit wooing, your Holy Spirit love, your Holy Spirit um, unction in our heart to receive the word that goes forth today. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the word that is here. And I thank you that it is a seed. And this seed is fruit-filled, fruit-growing, fruit-producing seed. So I pray over all your hearts that it's ready to receive that seed and produce that fruit. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. So this is part six in a series I've been teaching about identity. Your identity in Christ. There is a direct correlation between knowing your true identity in Christ and receiving what Christ has paid for. And if we don't know who we are, if we are confused, because you know what the enemy does? He does identity theft. And he does identity crisis. He wants you to be confused because he's a deceiver. He's good at twisting truth and giving half-truths and, and confusing us to the point where we don't know who we are. We don't know the finished work of Christ that is our inheritance. So what I've been doing over the last six weeks is we've been doing pieces of our identity. So I'm just going to just give you the titles that we've done so far. These are all on our website or will be. Kent's kind of behind on getting the website up today because he's been doing a huge building project. But um, they will all be up. So the first session, we looked at the truth that we're healed. You might not see it, feel it, understand it. But in the spiritual realm, as children of God, we're healed The scripture says, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. So in the spiritual realm is our inheritance. So the the statement that I make all the time is instead of fighting to get healed, we, if we know our identity, we stand in a position of knowing we are healed, but we're defending that healing that's already ours. The healing is ours. We're defending it. So instead of trying to get something you don't have, you're defending something that's already yours. It's a different paradigm. It's powerful. The second topic we talked about is the important topic to know that you are completely and forever forgiven. And because you're completely and forever forgiven, you're righteous. And because you're righteous, you are worthy of healing. Because one of the things that hinders us from having faith to believe is thinking we're not worthy. Well, we are not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of Jesus. The third topic we talked about is that we belong to the family of God. We're a child of God with his inheritance. And he's a good father. The next topic we looked at is that we are one with Christ. We are in Christ and he's in us. We are seated in heavenly places with him, with the enemy as a footstool under our feet. And we have the same authority and the same power that Jesus carried. In fact, he even said, it's better that I go because you will do even greater things than I did. He commissioned us. He gave us the power and the authority to carry on. 
Then last week we talked about the truth that we're God's masterpiece. That we all have gifts, we all have treasures, and God has a plan and a purpose for those gifts and treasures to be used. There's gold in all of us. We need to believe what God says about us. The scripture, the first scripture I read last week is, you are God's masterpiece. That's in the word of God. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us a long ago. So that's what we talked about last week. And then today, the title of our session today is, you are more than a conqueror. If you're fighting something that seems insurmountable, too big for man, you, there's no good report out there, according to the doctors, I have good news for you. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what the word says. And that's what we're going to look at today. We are more than conquerors. We're going to talk about what that means. And we are victors, not victims. We have victory. It's ours. It is our present possession. I'm going to just start naming names. Tim, you are a victor. You are a victor. Mary Lou, so are you. You have victory in you that is completed. I've been reading Old Testament, um, some Old Testament scriptures. I'm reading in uh, Chronicles right now. And some of the battles that went on where they had no capacity to win. But they did. Because God did the fighting for them. That's what we have. We have victory through Jesus. So I'm, I got a lot to share. I got to get going. Okay. We're more than conquerors. If you have your Bible or if you have a phone app, go to Romans 8. I don't usually ask you to open your Bible, but I'm going to be kind of planted in Romans chapter 8 for a bit. So I would like you to have your pen, your pencil, whatever you mark up your Bible with ready. Because some of the stuff you hear tonight, I believe, is going to just go right from the, the printed page into your heart. And I want you to be able to mark it in your Bibles. We're going to start with verse 31, and I'm reading pretty much from the Passion Translation, so it might look different than what's in front of you, but the, the word is alive and powerful. So, it begins, what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Okay, I'm going to stop and talk between the, little, between the sections of scripture. This scripture tells us, first of all, that if God is standing with us, who can be against us? We have God on our side. God almighty. God all powerful. God all loving is on my team. He's on our side. Me and God, we have a majority over cancer. God and I, we have victory over anything and everything because God's on my side. Not because of me, but because of him with me. And then it goes on and it says, God demonstrated his love by giving us his best. His very best. You know, those of us who are parents, 
when you even imagine for a minute sacrificing your son or your daughter for, for others' salvation, we can't even begin to go there. We'd say, no way. God gave his son. He gave us his very best. If that's true, and it is, then this scripture says he certainly will not withhold any of his gifts. If he would give his son his very best gift, he won't withhold. And I'm just going to say this right now. He won't withhold healing. God does not withhold any good gifts. And healing is part of his inheritance, is part of his atonement. I can share truths, biblical truths, to show you that evidence. If this is the first time you've heard that. I'll never forget the first time I heard that Jesus paid the price for my healing. At the same time he went to the cross. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. But I, it was told to me the day that I received salvation. And it changed my whole life. Healing is a part of salvation. It is part of our inheritance. He will not withhold any good gift, including healing. The next scripture, part of the scripture says, Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen and loved to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them. Not guilty. So if God Almighty says not guilty, who dares accuse us? Well, we know the enemy tries. And that's what it goes on. It says, who then is left to condemn us? Romans 8.1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? I want to just um, rabbit trail just a minute because this is talking about others accusing us and condemning us. God doesn't accuse us. Jesus doesn't condemn us. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The enemy is the one that attempts to condemn. If you're feeling condemnation, that's where it's coming from. It's not coming from God because God doesn't condemn. But remember this scripture. I, I declare this one a lot. It's 2 um, Colossians verse, I believe it's 15. I'm not positive. But this is the verse. It says that, that the bond note was nailed to the cross our guilt, our sin, all the junk nailed to the cross and crucified. Jesus took all our sin. It was all crucified. He defeated the enemy. And then he made a public spectacle of him. In the, in the Passion Translation, it says that the enemy was stripped of his power to accuse us. So if there's that thing that's saying, but... but that cancer hasn't budged. And people are saying, you're in denial. That's the enemy. That's the enemy trying to condemn you, trying to accuse you. But this scripture says, no. No. Who would dare to accuse you? God is your great, big, amazing father. Standing up to you against that bully. That thing that's trying to hold on and not let go. And he's saying, oh, no, 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 no. Don't you dare accuse my daughter. 
Don't you dare. I have done everything to remove guilt. I have done everything to remove it. Nothing can accuse my children. And I'm just going to keep reading the scripture. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Jesus not only paid the ultimate price, He is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding on our behalf. In fact, it gets better. We have two divine intercessors, two-thirds of the Trinity. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are interceding on our behalf. I'm going to go to two scriptures, one for Jesus and one for Holy Spirit, to just give you a little more manna here. Hebrews 7, verse 24 and 25. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently and without change because he lives on forever. Therefore, he is able also to save forever. That word save is so-so. It means saved, healed, delivered, and made whole. Therefore, Jesus is also able to save, heal, deliver, and make whole forever, completely and perfectly for eternity, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede and intervene on their behalf with God. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus is in the royal priesthood forever. He is the high priest now forever. In the Old Testament, there were, the high priest followed the bloodline of Aaron. And there were, there, when one high priest would, would die, there would be another high priest that would take his place. No more. Jesus is the final high priest. He is the one that intercedes. Remember, in the Old Testament, the high priest is the one that interceded for the people. Now Jesus is our intercessor. Jesus, the Son of God, intercedes on our behalf. And then in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, we're going to read about the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. In the same way, the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. We do not know what prayer to offer or how to offer it as we should. But the Spirit himself knows our need and at the right time, intercedes on our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes before God on behalf of God's people in accordance with God's will. I love this word. This is one of the scriptures in the Bible that I believe talks about praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, when we pray in the Spirit, I did a, a five or six part teaching last year on the, on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if this is something you maybe haven't been familiar with, the biblical teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can go on our website. There's really depth of teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But when we pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. The Holy Spirit prays through us. And... According to the scripture, he's praying 
the perfect will of God. Many times we don't know how to pray. And when we don't know how to pray, this is a really good way to pray. The Holy Spirit takes, just takes over with us as we pray in the Spirit and intercedes on our behalf. Now, I uh, have been really enjoying the Passion Translation of the Bible. And a couple of the things I want to share with you are from the study notes from the Passion. And this is one of the study notes from this very area that I'm teaching on tonight. Remember this, the account in the Bible where um, Moses is leading the Israelites through the wilderness and into the promised land, and they're battling a lot of different um, armies or a lot of different people. In one account, there is a battle against the Amalekites. And Moses goes on top of a, a high place, a mountain or a high hill, and he intercedes while the, the battle is going on. And as he's interceding, he's lifting his hands and interceding and praying. And as long as his hands are up, the Israelites are prevailing. But when his arms get tired and he puts his arms down, then the Amalekites prevail and they take over. So Aaron, the high priest, comes on one side of Moses and lifts up one arm. And her holds his other arm. Now, in my Passion Translation, it says that the name her means light. So here's Moses, the high priest, a type and shadow of Jesus, our high priest, that is our high priest forever. And then there's her, light. And light is, is a, a personification of the Holy Spirit. And her is holding up Moses' other arm. And when both arms are held up, there's victory. So now just picture that when you're in the midst of a need. Just like Moses wasn't able to do it on his own. He needed help. And there are so many times when I can't do it on my own. Lisa, this crazy lady of faith, asks for people to stand and hold up her arms and intercede with her. But even if you don't have people praying with you, you always have Jesus and the Holy Spirit interceding on your behalf, holding up both your arms. And when they're in intercession for you, there's victory. That's just something I had never known, never read, never heard. And as I was reading that, it was just building me up in this place where sometimes you feel puny when you're praying. If you're feeling puny, meditate on that for a minute. Okay, I'm going to keep going in, in the book of Romans. I'm going to continue with verse 35. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? That's referring to Jesus. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of Jesus? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe, nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? What about an uh, incurable diagnosis or pain or symptoms? No. For they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. That sentence just does me in. 
Cancer's impotent against the omnipotent love of God. Even though it's written all day long, we face death threats for your sake, God. We're considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. So yeah, there's death threats. Some of you have death threats. We have persecutions. We have, we have issues of life, tribulations and trials. And many times we feel like those sheep that are wandering without a shepherd. And we don't know what to do or we don't know which direction to go. Or we might be confused or unsure or feel like we don't understand. Yet, yet, even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. That's the title of my message. He has made us to be more than conquerors. And because, because of what God has made us to do, to be more than conquerors, we triumph over issues of life. We triumph over the death threats. We triumph over the pain and everything else. And his demonstrated love the price that he paid, the full effects of the cross, the finished work of the cross, is our glorious victory over everything. Yeah, that's good. So I want to go back to that phrase, God has made us to be more than conquerors. That whole phrase, well, not the word, not the name God, but has made us to be more than conquerors is one Greek word. It's such an amazing word that it took five words in English to even come close. The word, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce it, the Greek word, it's written on your, on your paper. It's hupernikeo, hupernikeo. And it, the best way to look at it is, you see the, the prefix is hyper, H-Y-P-E-R? It means a glorious hyper victory. A glorious hyper-victory. God has made us to have this glorious hyper-victory. And his demonstrated, his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. That, that hyper-victory makes us hyper-conquerors, empowered to be unrivaled, and more than a match for any foe. Guys, that's our identity. That's who we are. Let me say that again. We are more than a match for any foe. Not because of who we are. We're going to see in just a minute. It's Jesus. And what Jesus is in us. We're more than a match. I was reading this in, in Romans uh, maybe two months ago. This, this chapter. And I was just awestruck. I had never seen the depth of what it means to be more than a conqueror. We need to take time to meditate on that. That's part of our identity. And if we know that we're more than a conqueror, it's going to put us in a different position. It's going to build us up to take a powerful stand against whatever it is that's attacking us. Pastor Tim often says, wimps get wasted. And he talks about aggressive faith. This is an example of knowing who you are so that you can step into that position of saying, okay, devil, you messed with the wrong lady this time. 
You lose. Have you read the end of the story, the end of the book? Because I have. You lose. And you start talking to the enemy like that. And it's not just for him. He's already a defeated foe. It's for you. And it's for you to step into the authority that you have. So I want to give you another little nugget from my, um, from my study notes in the Passion Translation. What it, it said, and this is just really cool, it said, here are four ways that you've been made more than a conqueror. Here's four ways. And it goes back to the scripture. This points to the scripture and kind of explains it. The first way is that no situation in life can defeat or dilute God's love. That's what it, we just read. No trials, no perils, no dangers, nothing, nothing will separate you or dilute God's love. Number two, we know that d- divine love and power work for us to triumph over all things. His love and his grace empowers us to triumph. Number three, not only do we have victory, there's also victory spoils of every enemy we face. There's more than victory. I call it victory and triumph, or victory and more, or victory and reward, or victory and spoils. Every time in the Old Testament when they had battles, after the battle was won, and God was always the one that, that made that victory happen, after the victory, they went and they collected the spoils. They collected the riches. God does that for us. What you're witnessing right here, right now, is spoils of my victory. I was healed 17 years ago of stage 4 cancer. And now Christine's healed. And Suzette, you are too, girl. In Jesus' holy name. And the word of truth is going out. Lisa's healed. Mary Lou. I mean, we just know that God has done such an amazing work in so many people. It's nothing about me. It's about victory and more. And that's what God does. It's a ripple effect. Pastor Tim, oh my gosh, look at his life. What the enemy intended for destruction has been turned around for so much glory. That's victory and more. And that's true for every one of us. So that's another part of how God has made us more than conquerors. And here's number four. And this is on your sheet. So I kind of like you to read it because you need to see it in front of your eyes. We have conquered the conqueror. There's a capital C on that. We have conquered the conqueror with merely a glance of our worshiping eyes. We have won his heart. We are the bride. We're the bride of Christ. And as we worship with, in spirit and in truth from our heart to the heart of God, he is undone by our worship. This book of the Bible, Song of Songs, 
Many of us have read it in a traditional Bible. But when I read it from the Passion, it did something to me. It's, it's entitled, the title of this book, the subtitle is Divine Romance. And it's such a beautiful translation. And it's literally the love relationship from Father God to me and my response of love to him. There's, there's, I think there might even be a third character or choir or something in the midst. But there's definitely two distinct people in this love relationship, the father and the writer of the scripture. And I put myself in that place. It is so beautifully written. It just, just undoes me every time I read it. The first time I read this book, God spoke to me and he said, keep reading it until I tell you to, to move on to another book of the Bible. Keep reading this one. There's only like eight chapters in here. So I did. I would read a chapter or two a day, and when I'd get to the end, I'd go back to the beginning and keep reading it. I think God just wanted to, to grow my revelation of how much he loves me. We are more than conquerors because we have conquered the conqueror with our love for him and our worship for him. I'm going to read one scripture. It is on your sheet because I wanted you to have this. One verse out of that book. This is Song of Songs 4 verse 9. Now this word is God speaking to you. For you. For you, Tim. For you, Roy. I'm putting your name in there. Put your own in name. For you, Suzette. For you, Mary, reach into my heart. With one flash of your eyes, I'm undone by your love, my beloved, my equal, my bride. You leave me breathless. I am overcome by merely a glance from your worshiping eyes, for you have stolen my heart. That's how God feels about you. Isn't that beautiful? You could just stop right there. I don't even know what we're talking about, but that's, that's just everything. Oh, his love is everything. So we are more than conquerors. We are also victorious in Jesus. So that's the second half of this. We are victorious in Jesus. That means we win. Jesus already won and we just come right along and we win with him. So I'm going to read a prophetic word about Jesus and his victory. This is from Isaiah chapter 25. The Lord Yahweh, commander of angel armies, will host a rich feast on this mountain for all peoples, a feast with plenty of meat and well-aged wine, with an abundance of food and the finest of wine. And on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud wrapped around all the people. The veil spread over all the nations. It is the gloom of death. He will swallow it up in victory forever. I'm going to read that again. He will swallow it up in victory forever. And God, Lord Yahweh, will wipe away every tear from every face. He will remove every trace of disgrace that his people have suffered throughout the world. For the Lord Yahweh has promised it. Now, this is a prophetic word that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. 
That word is now fulfilled. It's already been completed. So let's go back and look at what has been fulfilled. At the beginning of the scripture, it talks about this mountain. And it says, there's a rich feast on this holy mountain. That is Zion. Zion is the mountain of grace. The mountain of the finished work of Jesus that, that um, is the symbol of the finished work of Jesus and grace. The other mountain is Mount Sinai. That's where the law was given. We're no longer under the law. We are now under grace. And because of that, there's this feast and this celebration. <clears throat> and the scripture goes on and it says, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud. It's talking about the shroud. And then it says the shroud is death. And then it says death has been swallowed up in victory forever. Not just in victory, but victory forever. And then there's this, this joy that is expressed. Well, actually, that's the next verse. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. And then it says he will remove the tears of disgrace. He will remove disgrace. And um, the Lord has promised us. It's good news. So what that scripture is saying is that there's this prophecy about the curse being defeated, the death curse. That was the original curse on Adam and Eve. Was the separation, the eternal death, the eternal separation, and everything else that came with that. We're going to talk about what it means for death to be destroyed. Hold that thought for just a minute. We're going to talk about the fullness of what it means. But I want to continue. And in that last day, they will say, or in that day, which is today, they will say, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him and he saved us. This one, the Lord Yahweh, he is worth the wait. He, we will keep shouting with joy as we find our bliss in his salvation kiss. Yeah, that's where we live. That's the era that we live in. We live in this time of salvation. If you have accepted and received the sacrifice of Jesus, that's mine and that's yours. Now, the word saved and salvation or salvation kiss, this is the passion. So it's very passionately written. But both of those words are the Hebrew word Yeshua. The name for Jesus. Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua. It means salvation, and it means a whole lot more. I'm going to give you more of that in a minute. But salvation is ours. He saved us. He saved us. And, and our response, instead of being pressed down and depressed and oppressed, our response should be joy. Joy. Bliss in his salvation kiss. And friends, I get to sit here and look at you, walk through seasons that are so difficult and say, this sounds really weird, but this has been an amazing season of my life. Christine said that to me before the meeting started. Last night, a woman named Joy told me the same thing. She said, Cindy, that was, she says, I don't even like to say it because it sounds weird to people, but that was one of the most exuberant times of my life that healing journey that I was in when the doctors told me I was going to die 
salvation kiss. I'm going to jump now to 1 Corinthians, where that same scripture that was prophesied in Isaiah is confirmed in 1 Corinthians. And when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on immortality, then the scripture will be fulfilled that says, death is swallowed up in victory, vanquished forever. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And then in the verse 27, it goes on and it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus gives us victory as conquerors. Death is a vanquished foe. Vanquished forever. And that means, the word vanquish means to conquer or to overcome the enemy. It's vanquished forever. So what I want to do now is I want to give you a broader, deeper understanding of what victory over death means. I want to tell you what I don't want you to go home with. I want to make this really clear. This is not what I'm, I'm advocating. I am not advocating that, well, when you die, you're going to be healed. So at least you'll get healed then. Nope, that's not what I'm advocating. I'm going to go way deeper than that. That's true. I get excited. I've got lots of books about heaven. And I get excited when I read them. Because I just am inspired knowing the face-to-face love that we're going to know that is more than we can even begin to fathom now. The love of Jesus and the beauty and the glory. So I get excited when I think about heaven. But I am not talking. I, I have heard many people say, you know, well, I know that it's a win-win. You know, if I get healed here, that's definitely a win. If I don't, I'm in heaven forever. But listen to what this scripture says. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 6. Father, I just thank you for the fullness of your plan and your purpose. I thank you that you vanquished death. You vanquished the curse. You vanquished everything that was in the way for us to live an abundant life. It has been defeated. And Father, help me to express that and give us uplifting in our soul to walk as the victors that we are. In Jesus' name. Okay, Romans chapter 6. And I did put this printed out in your handout. Sharing in his death, it's referring to Jesus' death. Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. New life. Before I go on, baptism is a symbol of being crucified with Christ. And when, when Christ was crucified, he died. His physical body died. And he was buried. He was entombed. The baptism, when we go under the water, it is a sign of us 
being crucified with Christ, being buried with Christ, but Christ didn't stay in the grave. He was resurrected. And when we come up out of the waters of baptism, it is a sign, a symbol of our resurrection to new life. I'm going to continue. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. I believe that new life refers to your born-again life. The moment you're born again, the moment you believe and receive Jesus as your savior and confess it and declare it and say, I want you to be my savior, Lord. I give up control. I relinquish control. I, I want to be dependent on you. I need you. I want you come into my life. The minute we do that, we begin our eternal life and death has been vanquished at that point. That is the beginning point. And then our whole life long, is a life that Jesus has paid for, for us to have fullness and completeness. That is one of the best treasures that I I have received in my salvation. It's that feeling of Christ in me, loving me, part of me, completing me. I'm not empty anymore. I'm not trying to do things. That's why the world is such a mess. They're trying to fill a hole that they don't know how to fill. Extreme this and extreme that and, you know, radical sports and radical partying and everything. Trying to fill that need when the need that they're needing is Jesus. So that new life is our resurrected self. Death has been vanquished and we've been given life. I'm going to keep reading. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. And he now lives continuously for the father's pleasure. So let it be the same with you. That's death being vanquished. When Jesus destroyed sin, the curse of sin was also destroyed. In under the law, with sin came the curse. If you read Deuteronomy, I think it's 28. There's the blessings and then there's the curses and the curses are a lot longer. There's like 50-some verses. If this, then this. But when Jesus completely eliminated and defeated sin, he also defeated the curse. Sickness is a curse. So when death was defeated, so was the curse, including pain, sickness, disease, and anything else that you're fighting. All the effects of sin... All the effects of the curse have been reversed. That's good news. 1 John 5, 4. For everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. Yay. That's you. That's me. Are you born of God? 
then you're victorious. Then you overcome the world. And this is the victory. This is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world. Our continuing persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Our part is to believe. He did the hard work. Our part is to say, you know what? That's who I am. I'm an overcomer. I'm a victor because of what Jesus did, and I believe what Jesus did. One more point. How are we doing on time? Okay. One more point. So we're talked about being more than an overcomer. We talked about victory, victory, victory through Jesus. And now here's another nugget. There's victory and power in the name of Jesus. This is just a bonus. Just in the name, Jesus. If you don't know what else to say, say, Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. So the scripture in Acts, Kent, I'm just going to paraphrase this for time's sake. It'll be up on the screen if you want to read it. But this is the scripture where I always get my apostles mixed up. Peter and John. Peter and John were um, going and walking, and there was a man who had been crippled from birth. The man didn't know who they were. All he knew was his, his day's goal was to get some money. So he was begging. And Peter and John said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And he was healed. So here, these apostles, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what they spoke. I don't have money to give you, but this is what I do have. And then they used the name of Jesus. And then a couple verses later in verse 16, the scripture says, because they were defending themselves, they got called in, they were always being persecuted for healing people. So they got called in, and this is how they responded. They said, faith in Jesus' name has healed this man standing before you. It is the faith that comes through believing in Jesus' name that has made the crippled man walk right in front of your eyes. So if you say Jesus with faith in who he is, there's power. So I want to go to the name of Jesus for just a second. Yeshua. I mentioned it a little bit ago. In the Old Testament, Jesus' name, Yeshua, is used 65 times. Jesus hadn't even been born yet. Whenever that, that word, Yeshua, was used, it wasn't a name at that point. It meant salvation or deliverance or victory or welfare. And instead of using the word victory, they would use the word Yeshua. Instead of the word salvation, when they were talking about salvation, they'd use the word Yeshua. Instead of deliverance, they'd use Yeshua because that's what his name means. So that's, that's the fullness of Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. Faith in Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is deliverance. Deliverance from all the works of darkness. Deliverance from all the works of the enemy. The thief is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus is your deliverer from disease, from pain, from depression, from anxiety, whatever that thing is, from sadness, from grief, 
from loss. Jesus is your deliverer. Jesus is your victory. We just talked about that. He is your victory. And he's also your welfare. And I looked up the definition to this word, and it just wowed me. So it's, it's got two parts. The first part of welfare means exemption from misfortune, sickness, evil, or calamity. I'm exempt <laughs> through Jesus and faith in his name. I'm exempt, and so are you. But we need to know who we are. We need to know that exemption. But the other part is the flip side. Welfare is also the enjoyment of health and common blessings of life, including prosperity and happiness, having all your needs met. That's all in Jesus' name. Wow. And there's power in the name of Jesus. So there's... Um, one more, one more piece to this, and that is that when Jesus was still on this earth, he gave us some direction how to pray. He said, go to my Father in my name. He said, ask the Father in my name. I believe it's because there's such power in his name. So when we ask with faith in his name and the authority and the power that that name holds... That's a power-packed prayer. So Jesus was teaching us how to pray to the Father in his name. I'm just going to give you that evidence, and then we're going to close. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me. Jesus is speaking. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. That's quite a promise. And here's another one, John 16, verse 23 and 24. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Jesus is saying, you're not going to ask me. You're not going to ask Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. That's a promise from the word of God. And it also gives us direction on how to pray. You know, sometimes we don't know who to pray to. Do I go, dear Jesus? Do I go, dear Father? Do I go, dear Holy Spirit? The scripture says, pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And that's what you hear us pray when we pray for you. God is good. You're a victor. Even if you haven't seen the results yet in your life, you are a victor. You are a victor.